Holy Spirit, thank you for your lordship and your love in Melina's life. Yeah, bless her today, Lord. Let the joy of her, her friendship with you, Jesus, and the love that you've placed in her heart for this vineyard family in, in Australia. Thank you that you've placed a heart of worship in her. And yeah, just as she speaks now, we ask that you'd anoint her words, that they would touch our lives, and that you, Lord Jesus, would grow larger in our lives and larger through our lives as a result of taking this time together. And we ask it in your name, King Jesus. Amen. Over to you, mate. Thanks, Kirk. What a treat. I'm in so much trouble today. If I can get through this coherently, it will be a small miracle. All glory to Jesus. Because between the worship, between steading foot in this building again after such a long period of time, this is just, in my story, such a precious place. And just look at you, Pine Rivers. Look how beautiful you are. I just... I, I cry, okay? I will probably do that a few times today. I don't need an intervention. It'll be all right. That's just how I process things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, today, just an immeasurable joy to be here. So, it's, it's just a gift to me. And if you get something out of it, that's a bonus. <laughs> so, we'll go with that. Um, what I'm wanting to do today, um, I've been up as part of the um, worship contingent today um, and yesterday. Um, it's all been a bit blurry. And I've been, um, I guess, invited to talk a little bit about worship, um, not a narrow brief. But I want to place a little bit of an emphasis on thinking about worship in the context of mercy, compassion and justice. Um, and I want to preface this by saying I am just chatting to the converted on this one and I am going to um, have some very particular things to say to you as a community as well in this later too. So tickled pink to be here for a bunch of reasons. Um, so this is the fun stuff. So if you want to go to the next slide... So me in the middle, we think that's probably what I looked like approximately the last time I was here. Very small Northside Christian College. It is a totally transformed beast now. <laughs> um, very different. Um, so my name's Mel, if I haven't met you. Um, I was one of the little people running around here um, when we were still in the hall um, in the 90s before we moved here as well. So very precious to me. So from Brisbane around 99, moved with my family to Newcastle. And after a couple of years there, um, got to be part of John and Paula's Southern Cross Vineyard community. And I tracked with them for a number of years, kind of had some um, tricky adventures, early 20s, wasn't real sure on the whole church, Jesus stuff. But after just the most extraordinary God-shaped love, mercy, unconditional support, an unfailing welcome of some good people of the vineyard, um, including some of my own family and those poor old Watsons. Um, I've come back and I've been there driving them nuts ever since. So here we go. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, you know, probably a little biased, but I love the vineyard. I've tracked with the vineyard for more years than I'm going to admit, partly because I'm bad at maths, so I'll get it wrong anyway. And it's been the love of the people of the vineyard and this utter determination that everyone, everyone, including me, 
gets to play. It's the only reason I'm here today. And it's also been the vineyard that's cultivated and nourished a long, deep, wide love of worship in me from a really little person singing Darlene Sheck on the family barbecue out the back. Now, funnily enough, I'll come back to this, um, whilst these days I kind of more regularly wield a guitar um, on a Sunday morning, I wouldn't have even picked up a stringed instrument from photo on the left when I was a little person in Mackay until I was about 23, not musically trained at all. And what happened was some of the Southern Cross peeps crowd bought me a learner guitar to learn on because they thought I might be able to do this. So to highlight just what an act of faith this was, I remember calling my mum at the time and she was very affirming. God bless Michelle. But she's like, they know you can't play it. I did clarify this, continuing to be in shock. And to this day, just so we're not highlighting that it's some sort of wonderful dramatic musical transformation. Um, I give thanks every Sunday for the great capo, so don't get any ideas <laughs> about some dramatic musical transformation. Um, those who play with me might sort of be like, she's into jazz chords but doesn't know jazz, right? It's a little bit intuitive. Um, but the point of this, and the one I'll be looping back to, is that this business is for all of us, even me. Um, so if we go to the next slide, I'm a geographer, so I love a map even if it's a roadmap. And I want to give you a sense of where we're going so that hopefully you can keep me accountable too because she does get distracted. So <laughs> if we can commit to that together. Um, what I want to do is to pause together and look afresh as a community at this thing we call worship in the vineyard specifically and to think really carefully about what it is, who it's for and how we do it. And in my very limited experience, sometimes the most deceptively simple questions are the most potent, the most powerful. And I suspect this also is the case when we follow where some of these questions might lead us when it comes to talking about worship today as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'd also like to ponder with you good people today what song the Lord is inviting us to sing now what it might actually sound like, look like, taste like, and be. So one of my jobs, um, as Kirk alluded, is trying to keep undergrads awake at uni. And I've just finished week two of teaching. And I'm known for being a bit sort of exuberant. Um, my poor old smartwatch thought I was swimming for 15 minutes when I gave my lecture. Um, so I'm sort of trying to keep within an area that isn't too much like this. Um, anyway, you can take the gal out of the classroom, but the ladder is a little tricky. So what I would like is to open the floor because this is the stuff I love to do. I'm going to throw up next slide. Well, I'm not. My wonderful friend up the back is. I'm not going to take credit for that. When we see this word... Don't overthink it. Just shout out something that comes to mind. I think we could be tempted here to say what we think is the right answer and there isn't a right answer. I'm just curious as to when we see this, when we associate this in church, what comes to mind? Any thoughts? Singing. What was the other one? Prayer. Yep. Anything else? Ooh, good stuff. How do we do it? What's the thing we normally do when we do this? Praise. Sing. Yeah? Anything else? Move? Yeah? Relation? Oh, gee, 
I don't need to be here. You people could give this sermon. Goodness gracious. So <laughs> one of the things that, that is interesting here is we've touched on a couple of things, right? So we know that worship is something that happens through music. And we also know it's more than this, right? And so thinking about that, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we said music because if we hadn't said that, there goes the rest of my chat today and, well, I had a hunch and it was wrong, so it's been fun. Um, so fortunately, we can push on today. Um, when I talk about today more than a song, firstly, I'm flogging from Maddie Redman. Secondly, I say this as someone who believes passionately in the nourishing, supporting, facilitating of worship through the body of Christ lifting its voice, okay? I think this is powerful and precious and holy and a site of extraordinary intimacy, that is, to the core of our beating hearts here. And to me, I also look at this space and remember that it's more, as well. And this is what I want to attend to today. Yeah, music isn't all there is to worship. Yeah, if I'm talking about me, I won't speak on behalf of you good people because I think you're really across this. I contend, if I'm in a hurry really quick, not thinking about it, to think about worship as something that's led by musical peeps, particular kinds of creatives. Now, that's a whole other chat, by the way, because the whole creativity thing, um, we've all made in the image of a creator. I'll leave that there. Somebody else can sort that out another way. <laughs> so that's for everybody. And I think we can see that a lot more broadly in terms of just the practicalities of the language we use around worship, in terms of our broader church community, um, and particularly in terms of it being distinct from other ministry areas, perhaps. And when I stop and look at the lay of the land on this, that strikes me as interesting. Because if we go to the next slide... As Tim Hughes says, and as the good people of Pine Rivers have said this morning as well, worship is about the mess and fragility of humanity being caught up in the perfection and love of divinity. It's about an encounter, not rules, religion or regulations. We miss the point when we reduce worship to programs and practicalities rather than focusing on the person and the presence of Jesus. It's about relationships. Again, you crushed it. And of course, this relationship weaves through the whole tapestry of our lives. It's always been more than a song. The song is wonderful. It's precious. And worship has always been something that exceeds this, that is bigger again. And it's something that we are all called to, to be people that worship in spirit and in truth, bringing our whole lives into this dance. It's not just a corporate song. It's this and it's more than this. It's not just for the super creatives. I actually don't think it should be for the super creatives in some ways as well. If we go to the next slide, a couple of thoughts on this. Going back to Timmy Hughes again. I still haven't quite finished chewing on this definition, by the way, so I'm just going to throw this at you. There's so much to consider in it. The truth is that everybody worships something, everyone. 
if something captivates our heart's affection, our mind's attention, and our soul's ambition, it effectively has our worship, be it a relationship, money, success, or power. And of course, the wonderful Carol Wimber kind of said something that resonates similarly in that every time we choose another over ourselves, it's an act of worship. Every time we decide to lay our own way down in favour of Jesus' way, it's an act of worship. Worship is for everyone. And worship, whether we elevate or magnify something, is happening all the time. Now, I'm going to pause and spell this out because I know we've heard this before, but I feel really strongly we can't be reminded of this enough. If we could go to the next slide... Worship is for all of us, regardless of whether you can sing, play something, even if you came to it by accident because you got bullied into it by some people who hear from God, like me, okay? And that involved musos, folks who were across this, stepping out of the way to make room for someone like me to have a go. That's a gift I'll never, I'll never underestimate. Now, if none of those things are you... You're called to this as an individual made in the image of God and you're called to this as part of a beloved community, forming part of the body of Christ. No one, no one is on the outside when it comes to this. So when we describe the vineyard as a worship movement, we're staking some serious stuff here. It would be easier to say we're a music movement, yeah? But that's not who God's called us to be. It's part of it, but it's more. And what if we were a people, I'm just throwing some stuff out here, and like I said, it's not my place. Kurt can mop up the mess afterwards. What if we took a people, if we were a people who took seriously that some of our most powerful worship leaders may not actually be musos at all? And that's tied to thinking about how we worship. So let's go to the next slide. I'm doing a tour of some vineyard friends and favourites here in terms of some thoughts on this. So this was an interview that Andy Park did um, a couple of years ago about worship. He has a few things to say on this. Um, I'd be keen to take his word for it. Um, So he's talking about worship and he says, genuine worship is about what I do moment by moment. It's what I do when no one's watching That really matters. I know a lot of people whose personal lives have been a mess, even when they've been in the spotlight in worship ministry. That's been one wake-up call to me to make sure my life is lining up with the words I'm singing and writing. The prophets warn us against putting on impressive musical festivals whilst not caring for the poor and not honouring God with all of our heart. If we're not genuinely seeking God and listening to him, our music is a cacophony to his ears. So what's he talking about? Well, let's have a look at some examples. Um, The prophets have a few things to say on this, but I've just pulled out two if we could go to the next slide. So Isaiah 6.13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth. They honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. They're doing it because they feel like they have to. The music's good, but... 
Amos 5, 22, 24, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What's Andy getting at in pointing to passages like this? Let's have a think. Worship and worship through music should never be isolated or disconnected from the broader practice and reality of the ministry of all of the people of God. If our worship through music is rocking and we're singing songs about laying our lives down to Jesus and having this really wonderful time, and this isn't actually reflected in the ordinary, everyday blood, sweat and tears of our highly imperfect and grace-laden, can I say, ongoing journey towards Christ and towards the kingdom. We're doing something troublesome. So the new song, the song of renewal, the song of a movement and a people responding to the extraordinary God we serve. Um, I don't really have the authority to say this, but I'm just going to throw this out because it's a hunch. Um, I don't think it's going to come from a bunch of particular kinds of creatives in isolation from the rest of the church and ministry, set apart as a distinct kind of category or area. You can egg me later if you disagree. I'm tough. My wager is that the song that moves the heart of God will come from the heart of a whole community, musical or not, that wants to be like Jesus and that takes seriously this audacious, uncomfortable, stupefying sometimes, if we're honest, God, what are you doing? Journey. And does so in a way that is deeply authentic and true to the unique calling of each of us in the body of Christ. That unique holiness that was talked about in that beautiful extended worship time today. And doing that together. And this, my friends, this is where this is chatting to the converted, right? This is stitched into the very essence of the origins of the vineyard. So John Wimber reflected on this in um, an excerpt in The Way In Is The Way On, which is a a cracker that I come back to um, every now and again. So this is John Wimber reflecting. Very early days of the vineyard here, folks. So one evening, there was a meeting at our house when the church was just beginning and the power of God was being poured out on us and we didn't know what it all meant. To be honest, we didn't know what to do with the power, right? I feel for the guy. So we asked Juan Carlos Ortiz, who'd been brought by a friend, if he had some wisdom for us. So we knew, or at least we thought, um, he was a Pentecostal and therefore had already been around this block a few times. He'll have the answers. Next slide. He took us aside, looked at us soberly for a long time, as if to determine whether we actually wanted advice. I always get nervous when people pull that face, by the way, because you know you're in for it. Okay, finally he spoke. Alrighty. The Pentecostals have always had wonderful celebrations and glorious meetings. We've spent the power on our glorious meetings and celebrations. My advice to you is to use the outpouring of the Spirit in doing good for the poor. Spend the power 
of God on helping the poor. How do we spend the presence, the power, the encounter, that joy of worship through song? Obviously, he said this a while ago, right? I mean, because he said it. Um, But, mate, this rings true to me today, right here and now. And so if we go to the next slide, I have a hunch. I keep saying this because I'm here today and it's all I got, so we'll go with the hunch. I reckon that when I, and I'll speak for me first and foremost, when I think about and organise our churches, our different areas of ministry, I do worship a massive disservice when I associate it primarily with music or with a certain kind of creativity. I'm speaking to myself first. um, And again, one of the other things I dig about the vineyard is the encouragement of discernment, okay? This is a precious tenant of our people. So discern for you. This is not a thus saith situation. This is my reflections. And if it's helpful for you, you are so welcome to them. I think our worship... Our response to who God is and our elevation, magnification of God as most important to us is inseparable from our mercy, our justice, our compassionate ministries. From careful attention to, service of, and alliance with the marginalised, the excluded, the disenfranchised, the invisible, the hurting, it's this place where we worship, where our actions to others are done as if to Christ. Where Christ has, as Tim Hughes reminds us, captivated our heart's affection, our mind's attention and our soul's ambition and where we ultimately want to become more like the object of our affection, attention and ambition. We want to become just like the one we worship and our worship becomes just like the one we love. And in this case, our worship can never just be a song. The song is precious and it's important, but the song is also lived. It's a life poured out. And I'm not going to prescribe what this looks like specifically for you. All of us are called to this work in unique, God-shaped ways. But what I'll say is that we are called to it and that it matters deeply to God. So much so that if I've nailed the music and I've neglected living the essence of the song, I'm in deep trouble. Because we're a people who worships our God, a God who, okay, I've been in church a long time. I get really desensitized to this, but like a God who became an actual person, okay? Like an actual person who knows what it's like to be us. A God who so intimately and deeply loves and desires us to choose to become like us, like that is a whole other chat. Do not have time for that, my friends. But a God who gets up in his hometown, a backwater, down in the dumps, going, like seriously going nowhere place. A place no one considers important. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? It's not just a pretty marketing line, okay? It's like nothing comes out of there that's good. And what he does is he carefully opens that scroll and he reads this. Next slide. If I can get through this without crying. (laughs) Praise Jesus. All right. So he returned to Galilee and in the power of spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth. 
Not as good a reception here. But anyway, hangs in there to where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And if we keep going with the original scroll, next slide, it goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They'll rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated long considered lost. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us in the work of recovery, healing, freedom and dismantling of oppression, all kinds of powers, principalities, sin and death, so that those who are freed become rebuilders and renewers of the kingdom in turn. That sounds officially like Jesus to me. We worship as we choose to participate in the bringing forth of the kingdom of God. Worship can never be just music. And what's a delight to me, and here I go, friends, is that, again, I know I've said this, but I am speaking to the converted. I want to pause and I want to say thank you to you at Pine Rivers for modelling this so long and so faithfully to our broader Vineyard Church community. Your ongoing commitment to worship, to mercy and compassion as key pillars of your community. It's a blessing and it's a model of participating in the kingdom of heaven for all of us who call Vineyard family on these lands. It's also not without cost, disappointment, heartbreak and a whole heap of, gee, I wish I hadn't done it that way. It's not the point. I honour it and I thank you for your hard and holy worship over many years. So much so that to walk back into this building and sing, come now is the time to worship and refine as fire again after however many years and to be joined by people who pour out their lives in exactly the same spirit. That's astounding to me. That's astounding. And you folks have lots to teach me and the vineyard movement as a whole about everyday heart and holy worship that moves the heart of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So thank you. Side note, did you know that the first copywriting entity for vineyard music was called this? Next slide. Huh, I dig it. As an aside, let's go to the next slide. Um, we're going to go back to the Luke 4, Isaiah 61 situation for a moment. Let's check this carefully. It's not just me, the church kid, 
who gets to be called Oaks of Righteousness? Who's the they? It's the brokenhearted, the prisoners, the blind, the poor. Do you see it? It's the upside-down kingdom of God. And as followers of Jesus, our worship is to be just like Jesus, to live a song that releases, that comforts, that proclaims, and that gets kind of out of the way a bit, has more of the newly redeemed and restored, rebuild and restore in turn. I've always read it as I'm the oak, and I don't think that's a problem um, because I've been redeemed and restored, and I continue every day. But I don't think that's the full story of what's going on here. I get to live a life of worship in this invitation that shares the love of Jesus with those who are on the margins, those who don't count in the world we know and we live, those who are hurting. And to join Jesus in flipping some tables and turning things upside down, upholding those who are marginalised, disadvantaged, rendered unimportant. And in doing so, grow and nourish the kingdom in partnership with the king. Now that's a song I'd love my life to sing. And that's the song I suspect that our God is inviting us to sing, to bring before him in our whole of life worship, a song that permeates our lives, not just our Sunday services or music recordings or all of those things that are wonderful and holy and precious. It's more than a song. And it's a song that echoes through everything. I'm insisting that this business is and will always be more. And the song is essential. It's how we talk about what God has done, what God is doing, and invite other people to it. But so is the broader worship, the living and loving that brings forth a song in the first place. So my wrap-up is in two parts today. If we could go to the next slide. Thanks. I've been thinking a bit in tackling this about the Beatitudes. Again, straightforward. About Jesus' proclamation of who is blessed. And the thing is, what I noticed in being forced to sit with this a little longer, um, this isn't actually a passive statement. Jesus doesn't just say this and then not do it and not live it across the ages. And as worshippers of Jesus, as disciples of the one who will be with us always, even until the end of the age. This shouldn't just be a statement either. It's an invitation to shape our worship and our action. To be people who bless the poor in spirit and share with them the kingdom of heaven. Who bless and mourn with those who mourn and comfort them who bless the meek and hold them up and honour them as they inherit the earth. Right now the earth is in need of people like this. Boy, oh boy. People who bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and participate in filling and upholding them too. What a gift they are to me, to us. Who bless the pure in heart and defer to them as they behold the face of God and lead me towards God in turn. Who bless the peacemakers. Boy, do we need them. And serve them as beloved children of God. Not peacekeepers, peacemakers. There's a different different work here. 
who bless those and care for those and support those who are persecuted because of righteousness and love and serve them as they inherit and bring forth the kingdom of heaven. To bless and care and provide refuge for those who are insulted, persecuted and say have all kinds of evil set against them because of Jesus. We want to rejoice with them because their reward is massive. And for the same way that the prophets were persecuted, so to them. The other side of this is this life song. It's not new around here. It's at the heart of the vineyard. If you've been around the movement a bit, you'll know this song, amongst others. If we could go to the last slide. The vision for the movement of the vineyard here on this land, which our leaders have been so faithfully and courageously stewarding, is an invitation towards love multiplied. And it begins with our worship in every sense of the word. All of us, as people of the vineyard, living a song that is more costly and beautiful every day, ordinary and courageous than any of us could imagine when we got into this business, right? And in the upside-down kingdom, one of the ways that multiplication comes is through surrender, through love poured out, stuff given up, dreams laid down, Rights given over, all for the promise of new life, as another vineyard song reminds us. Laying down our lives to the one who knows the way out of the grave. For the lamb has overcome, and behold, behold, the lamb is making all things new. Even you, even me, right here, right now, and the spirit and the bride say, come. So, let us see your kingdom come. To the poor and broken ones, let us see a mighty flood of justice and mercy. Oh, Jesus. You know the rest. <laughs>